Okay, so we are we're here to talk about um, about our, our experiences of COVID and the COVID nineteen pandemic uh, over the past kind of eighteen months, two years. So, when did we all first hear about it? What was our first experiences of it? So I know me and Avril, um, it always sticks in our mind and we all, we often talk about it now. Um, we'd visited Stafford uh, for a meeting. I think it was a clinical governance meeting. Um, and that was at the very start of the pandemic. Uh, and we often kind of recall now, you know, we just didn't get it. We didn't understand, you know, what the fuss and the hype was about. Serious discussions were kind of being had in this meeting. And I suppose we were kind of thinking, why has everyone been dramatic you know coronavirus yeah what was that that was the term you know i was soon starting to hear in my sleep but at that time <laughs> we services just... though down it were more down south services were being affected and i think for us being up in the north it hadn't got there yet had it so mm. we were very much like what yeah it can't be that serious why is everyone overreacting but within a week of our visit it had reached yorkshire so yeah. we were in the panic then and obviously, I mean, the amount of phone calls I remember Kaylee and I having around staff members that were presenting us with different scenarios around family members being in contact or people being positive for COVID. And the amount of phone calls we had around, right, okay, so so-and-so, so-and-so's tested positive or being in contact with so-and-so, so-and-so. And we had to map it all out. It was yeah. just horrendous. Trying to, trying to work out, like, the different contacts but also yeah. kind of within like a changing sort of guidance as well, because it was just so difficult, wasn't it, to try and keep the track of what we were supposed to be doing or what staff were supposed to be doing or whether they should be in or out or just I think at the start it was just really kind of unclear, kind of felt like mud a little bit, I guess, by the time when it, when it first kind of came to us. I mean, I remember sort of sitting in um, one of the morning meetings in the prisons and um, the number one governor was literally saying if anyone's been to China, you know, they have to isolate. Yeah. But it was just if you'd been to China, it wasn't anywhere else. And then all of a sudden, again, kind of at the start of, what, 2020, it just exploded, didn't it, really? I also remember is the amount work didn't, it wasn't Monday to Friday anymore. We were dealing with staff that were messaging us on a night. There were messages yeah. on a weekend. We were, we were just inundated with people managing people's anxieties and trying to make sure people felt confident and okay and safe to come to work when really we didn't know ourselves and we yeah. were just you know offering each other that support I mean there's been plenty of conversations between us three where there's been head in hands and plenty of swearing going on because we've been we, we haven't known ourselves you know like we've sent one yeah. message out in the morning and by dinner time it's changed again yeah so i think that's the thing that's what was so challenging because we quickly identified didn't we that guidance was different even from prison to prison yeah. you know lots of different advice and direction from different key partners and stakeholders you know it's a good job we love a challenge but i think you know what you said avril in terms of staffing and managing their anxieties and i remember you know recall having conversations with staff around it being, you know, us being in the same storm but different boats, that really rung true. Yeah. You know, whilst we were all experiencing the same storm, we were all going through the pandemic together, we were all in the same boat, the same yeah. situation. And I remember saying this to the staff at the time, and whether that was in response to staff being, you know, hard on themselves when they were having a wobble um, and then perceiving others to be coping better, or on the yeah. flip side, there were frustrations towards others, you know, who appeared to be responding different to the pandemic. Yeah. And it was really important to recognise that we all had different pressures and we were all and we all had different ways of coping as well. 
I must admit, though, do you not think at that time, like, certainly for us, the hierarchy disappeared within, like, prison governors yeah. and PPG and everything. So everybody just became one team and worked closer yeah. together because we were all just helping each other. Absolutely. It was a real kind of leveller, wasn't it, I think? It just... Literally, as you say, there was no hierarchy, there was no nothing. It just, everyone had to kind of be bums on seats, boots on the ground, what needs done to cover every single day and just kind of take it from there, I guess. From a personal perspective, one thing I found really hard was working from home and having the kids with me all the time. You know, like, it was so stressful. Yeah. That was the worst part. I decided to look after my children every day, all day. (laughs) I know, I I never did want to be a teacher. Uh, Let me tell you, I've discovered a whole new level of respect for teachers. I (laughs) I don't know how you guys have done it. Honestly, I don't. Absolutely, hats off to you. Totally commend you. Because work is hard enough anyway, but then having to work and have kids and teach the kids as well. So hats off to to you guys. Also, I have to be ready with a full face of makeup in case somebody video called you. (laughs) (laughs) You never knew when that was going to happen. It genuinely, you know, was a struggle, wasn't it, to manage kind of work commitments and the responsibility of parenting and that pressure, albeit pressure, you know, we no doubt placed upon ourselves, to homeschool and ensure the children completed all their tasks. You know, you're a better parent than me if you didn't complete an eight-year-old's task just just so you could crack on with your own work. Absolutely. (laughs) It was juggling more than we ever needed to, wasn't it? But then alongside that, it's not only, again, the work commitments, it was the staff, again, going back to that, it was the staff that were constantly ringing and talking to us about, you know, do we have because I remember we got the letters, didn't we, saying we were key workers and then it was the fight for um, school places when you're a key worker with children and, oh, well, if one parent's this and one parent's that. And again, kind of having no clear guidance on that and trying to make a decision and kind of it felt very much like I very much felt like I muddled my way through it and I hate feeling like that. We did get a lot of praise like from patients that we were looking after in the prisons that were consistent across all sites, weren't it? They were very, very grateful for everything that we'd done. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as well, you know, in terms of the positive, um, you know, feedback, I think what we recognised, you know, kind of as a team was we welcomed the regular updates, didn't we, from the trust, from the prison, from the prime minister, um, you know, therefore we we made a conscious decision to ensure we offered that same back to the patients, you know, regular updating them on changes, reassuring them, you know, we were still there, although it looked different. And they really responded well to that. That absolutely was the feedback, wasn't it, across... um, Definitely. Oh, go on. I remember working, like, within the prisons at that time and they were just so eerie, weren't they? You know, like all the hustle and bustle had disappeared, like, um, people were self-harming and everyone seemed a lot calmer. Everything everything just seemed a lot more calm at that time. I think um, the prison expected, you're right, Avril, so the prison expected, um, you know, the bit to maybe be some backlash yeah. and, um, you know, that, that level of frustrations from, um, you know, the patients. Um, but I think they, they did, they responded really well to it. Um, we were lucky we had, you know, in-cell telephones in some of our prisons, you know, so we were able to maintain contact at the point where we weren't, you know, accessing the wings. However, that was a whole new way of working in yeah. itself, you know, staff yeah. felt it like that personal aspect however the beauty was that it did allow us to continue to support our patients through them really uncertain times absolutely and i think again kind of going back to kind of the, the feedback that we got from the patients you know we i remember kind of getting some feedback and they were like 
are you okay to be in work? They were actually concerned for our safety almost because we were kind of almost putting ourselves at risk um, by coming in and kind of, make, you know, they wanted to make sure that all our families were safe and that we were safe. But equally alongside that, they were kind of really concerned about the lockdown because obviously in the first lockdown kind of in 2020, it was literally we were allowed to go out once a day where we bar obviously was going to work. And I know they were kind of commenting and saying it must be so weird for your lockdown and you haven't chosen to be locked down. And they've kind of, in their, their eyes, they were kind of saying we've chosen to be locked down because we've committed an offence and we're in prison, but you guys haven't and it must be so difficult. And I think the level of compassion that our patients showed back to us in dealing with it was something that I've certainly never felt on such a large scale either. So for, for me, that was quite humbling as well, kind of having them concerned for us because just, I guess, their acknowledgement of, of how much we do for them as well and how much we support them was just incredible. It was just it was overwhelming in some in some cases as well. Definitely. And I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, some of the changes that we did see and how we had to adapt our ways of working. And I think, you know, for example, that utilising the TV channels where we could yeah. um, in the prisons where, where that was possible. And I think, you know, I would never like to be a teacher, never wanted to be an actress, you know, but there <laughs> were filming clips so that we could put it out to patients, yeah. you know, again, initially we'd put out information and the feedback was they wanted that more kind of personal aspect that was, you know, um, individualised um, to them. So we were there kind of setting up social distance filming with, you know, um, recovery champions and things in yeah. response to the need that was arising, you know. We to think differently. Yeah. constantly weren't we constantly yeah. thinking out of the box and how we could provide yeah. a service and and be innovative as well, I think, because kind of all stuff outside, outside wise is also for technology, isn't it? And prisons are notorious for not, you know, for being technophobic for obvious reasons. In the dark uh, ages. Yeah, exactly. And I think kind of we've we've all had to really adjust to that and kind of this is a new way of working because it's not going away. And we've had to try to absolutely use TV channels, use kind of prison mm. radio, use everything that we absolutely can do. Because if we haven't got that contact, we've got to be very creative with what we've done. And I think we have done that. And like, you say okay well, just using the using what we have got available to us when we've got nothing else either um, absolutely and I think I you know I do recall it sticks in my mind when uh, during the pandemic um you know we had um HMIP and CQC inspector coming in and staff were praised you know it was absolutely yeah. recognized um the good practice around the creative approach to adapting yeah. you know the interventions you know another example being you know we know how well received mutual aid meetings are we yeah. couldn't facilitate them face-to-face -face meetings could with with external no, facilitators coming in so what we did was um, promote you know the prison written sponsorship scheme yeah. and actually the uptake were amazing you know yeah. we wrote to all prisoners um, and patients and um, to make them aware and they responded really well so they were still yeah. getting that level of support Absolutely. i mean some of these ideas will we'll always continue won't they you Most know we have learned to be creative I mean, as well kind of with, with, with we even got the um, we got the videoed um, NA meetings as well, didn't we, to put on the prison TV channel, something that we've never done before. And that, you're absolutely right, will continue as well, because why would it why would it not? Because there'll be some people that don't want to go to a meeting for whatever reason, and that's their choice to do that. But if it's on the screen and they've got it on the channel that they can look at, they can access it when they want. So we're giving more choice than we've ever given before, even though we've been quite restricted as well, I think. We think back to the initial stages of who would have ever thought we'd be doing so many, you know, um, video calls and meetings. Yeah. You know, I remember right back at the beginning in the early stages, chairing a staff team meeting, you know, via Microsoft Teams. And whilst it's the norm now, at the time it was so awkward, you know. Yeah. 
Isn't it? You missed that that face to face contact and talking yeah. to a computer screen didn't feel normal or natural. Whereas now, you know, we really have adapted and actually that you know way of working really has its benefits. It, you yeah. know, I mean, I still don't like video calls. Restrictions but... are easing now. You know, like we do see. It's, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's not such a big deal anymore. We're running, we, we're confident in like putting, bringing services, you know, working with services at different levels of COVID. Yeah. And it's become the norm for us. And, yeah. and therefore, we're more tackling anxieties with staff now because they don't want to wear a mask because you don't have to wear a mask in the community, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, we've kind of gone the, the opposite way to where we were at the start of the pandemic, I guess, haven't we really? Because we've kind of gone from, we were always wearing masks anyway. And again, that's sort of feeding into kind of guidelines not being clear. And in certain places, we, it, it wasn't compulsory to wear a mask, but we've always done that. And I think it's really difficult when you're getting told kind of from, from the prison perspective, we don't need to do that because we're in level whatever, but actually we do because it's what our trust is saying and that's kind of where we where we abide by so trying to get that across as well is quite difficult and again you're right fighting not fighting but kind of having them discussions with the staff around why we're doing this and it's kind of protecting them and to try and kind of get them to see that because the world is so different outside to what it is inside a prison still and it's not going to get to be anywhere near similar for quite some time i don't think anyway yeah, I think our resilience, hasn't it, you know, and staffing teams to, to situations has massively improved. Um, you know, it is now around restoration planning, you know, yeah. staff, and, staff and patients are keen to yeah. develop this um, and the interventions that are now being permitted with the ease of, you know, some of the restrictions. And like we've said, some of the things that we've identified as good ways of working are now going to stay. And, you know, they're the real, I suppose, positives, you know, that we can take from it. I know that I certainly look forward to holidays now because we haven't been able to go away. don't know about you. <laughs> well, I think that's it. I think, you know, we take the small, you took it for granted before. I definitely now appreciate the small things, you know, whether that's just nipping to the supermarket and not having to worry about whether there will be enough toilet roll on the shelves, you know, spending time with family and friends, you know, the hustle and bustle of everyday life, you know, schoolwork, yeah. kids' clubs, kids' parties, all the things I might have had a moan about before you appreciate it now and you look yeah. forward to. Yeah. And kind of, yeah, I think, and as well as that, it's like the family time that you probably never got to have before, you've got to have now in because of how it's been. And, and you're absolutely right. It's that kind of, you appreciate it. It's the little things, it absolutely is the little things that we probably took for granted because we were just so busy and that's probably for everyone as well. But it is, it's the little things that just keep you going as well anyway. And we did have to look after ourselves. You had to make a conscious effort, didn't you, Dorothy? Yeah. You know, I think we've got my, my morning routine consisted of, you know, setting up Joe Wicks in the morning for the kids um, and then <laughs> all doing it together um, in our pyjamas on a weekend. You know, that yeah. life changed, didn't it? Yeah. And I think it did have its advantages. You know, it helped my continuous battle with healthy eating. We weren't able to eat out, <laughs> you know. I've never done as much walking. There was nothing else. Until the eat out to help out came in. Well, I <laughs> oh, got my money's worth, don't worry. <laughs> but it felt like you were really limited as to what you could do, you know. Even the kids towards the end were like, please, no more walking, more. Yeah. You know, you really have to fill that, you know, time and kind of take the, the positives from it. And I think we it's that recognition that... And as we said, we're all in the same boat. It just might feel a little bit different for, for different people at different times. So we have to be mindful of how well we keep ourselves while we're dealing with everybody else that's got anxieties around it and how we help and support them as well. 
That's it. And I think working in prisons, we've already established, you know, you do need to have a dark sense of humour. I think this has helped. <laughs> but that I genuinely believe that, you know, how we've all pulled together and supported one another, um, you know, work through things as they've arose um, has yeah. really helped. Yeah, I think it's kind of forged relationships on a different level with teams as well. It's not just, you know, kind of you come into work and you, you go home home again there's kind of something a bit more deeper there now than there probably ever has been before everyone kind of pulls together and they kind of there's a bit more care and compassion for each other now I think and kind of consideration as well I think and kind of a bit of acknowledgement and self-awareness of what's going on not just for you but for other people as well and I think that massively helps when we're talking about team dynamics and kind of how we can all be creative and pull together if we're trying to look at a positive from a pandemic if we can ever do that I think we need to look at the positives because we could get sort of so trapped in the doom and gloom and all the negativity, but actually it's been positive in a lot of ways. We just have to see the positives, make sure that they are weigh the negatives. Are we done? <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>